Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Welcome back. I'm Chris, the pastor at Compass. As always, I'm really glad that you are here. Uh, a few weeks ago, my son Calvin graduated from high school. His class had like 400 kids in it, which was a lot. So the ceremony was held in a local arena so everyone could fit. So here's a picture to give you some, some perspective on the size of the room we were in. Now, when the graduates started walking in in a line, uh, we watched really closely for Calvin because when he came out, we were going to scream and yell so that Calvin knew where we were sitting. And because we had our cameras ready to go capture that moment that he came in, we got this little snippet of video. Check this out. You saw that, right? He walked by lightning fast and gave us a little tiny glance of acknowledgement. Now we couldn't really see his face because we were so far away. So we zoomed in on the video to get a screenshot of when he looked up at us. And this is what we saw. That's a weird face, right? Here's an even closer look. Now, when I showed it to Calvin later, he said that he made that weird face on purpose to be funny, which I mean, I thought was hilarious. But from our vantage point far away, it was hard to tell one kid from another. And if we hadn't captured this moment on video and then zoomed in to bring his face into focus, we would have completely missed it. In the same way we would have missed Calvin's funny face if we hadn't zoomed in, we often misunderstand other people when we don't bring their lives into focus. When that happens, we can make assumptions about their lives based on the surface things that we can actually see from a distance. So for example, take this girl. What kind of music is this girl dancing to? Maybe Harry Styles or BTS? Wrong, it's this. And what music do you think this guy likes? Well, it's Taylor Swift. This guy's a total Swifty, 1989 era. I mean, you get the point of all this. It's not until we get close to a person that we begin to understand who they are and what they're about. And that's when their lives can come into focus. Jesus is one of those people who are misunderstood from a distance, both in his day and ours. And as we come into Matthew chapter 16, we see a shift in his approach. And over the next several weeks in this message series, we're going to see who Jesus really is and what he's doing begin to come more into focus. And we're going to start in Matthew 15, verse 29. It says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Now, in Matthew's gospel, as we've been working through it, I mean, we see stories of Jesus healing people, and Matthew repeats these stories over and over again, particularly these little unspecific stories where a lot of people get healed at once. Why does Matthew think we need to keep hearing about this? And to get that, we need to understand who Matthew was writing for. He was writing to a Jewish audience, an audience who understood the Jewish scriptures, people who were looking for a Messiah, a savior sent from God who would save them from Roman oppression. That would, and he would set up a new kingdom of Israel. And these messianic hopes 
They came from the writings of the prophets, particularly Isaiah. I mean, check this out in Isaiah chapter 35. It's one of those prophecies. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he'll open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. God is coming to save you. And the Jewish people were longing for that in in this coming Messiah they were looking for. But notice what the signs of his coming are, that he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. And if that sounds familiar, it's because that's exactly what Jesus was doing in Matthew 15. Let's look at this again in verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid him at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. It's Isaiah. And in in this, we see Jesus is doing the exact things that Isaiah said would be signs of the coming of God's kingdom. And Matthew's Jewish audience, they would have understood exactly what he meant by that, that Jesus is that Savior. But Matthew also sneaks in a little detail, another one, because he refers to Jesus going up on a mountain. And, And Matthew does this multiple times throughout his book. What's that all about? Well, Moses was the greatest prophet and the leader of the Jewish people that they ever had. Moses gave them the law that they based their lives around. And how was the law given to Moses? He went up on a mountain where God appeared to him and gave him the law. Not only that, but when Israel was going to be restored, they believed that a new Jerusalem would be built at the top of Mount Zion. Matthew's connecting Jesus to both Moses and the new coming kingdom of God. Matthew is setting up signposts pointing to Jesus as the savior of his people. Then he continues in verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they, in turn, to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. After Jesus sent the crowd away, he got into a boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Okay, if this story sounds familiar, that's because it is. Jesus fed 5,000 people in almost the exact same way just two chapters ago in Matthew 14. So why is Matthew including this story? Here's the thing, he's making another connection to the Jewish scriptures. Because when the Israelites were led out of Egypt by Moses to a remote place, God provided manna for them to eat. God miraculously fed them when they needed it. 
Why do we need to hear about Jesus doing all of these same miracles multiple times? It's because Matthew is connecting Jesus to the Jewish expectations of the coming Messiah who will usher in the kingdom of God. And he's repeatedly showing us the signs that point to Jesus. And Matthew's putting it all together here at the end of chapter 15 because he's setting up a confrontation that's going to happen in Matthew 16, verse 1. And this is the big verse for the day. It says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. So together, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they made up the religious and political ruling class of Israel. And they didn't usually work together. So the fact that they came together to confront Jesus and ask him for a sign was kind of a big deal. It meant that they were threatened enough by Jesus's, you know, rising profile that they worked together to stop him. So why did they ask him for a sign? Especially when Jesus had been healing and feeding people left and right. Aren't those signs? Well, it's likely that the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to trap Jesus based on their own use of the Jewish scriptures. Take a look at Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. And the law says, suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles occur. If they then say, come, let us worship other gods, do not listen to them. The false prophets or visionaries who try to lead you astray must be put to death. Now the Pharisees, they thought that Jesus was leading people astray. They thought Jesus was demon-possessed, and they thought he was committing blasphemy against God. While the Sadducees on the other side, who were political leaders, they had a good balance of power with Rome. And they thought Jesus might upset the apple cart and cause Rome to crack down on them. Either way, all of these guys wanted Jesus gone. And they thought that they could leverage the law to put Jesus to death. But Jesus doesn't play ball. Look in Matthew 16, 4. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. Jesus refused to give them a sign, and then he insulted the religious and political leaders of Israel by calling them wicked and adulterous, which they were. The, the religious Pharisees corrupted religious law while the Sadducees collaborated with Rome, and all of these guys together did it for their own gain. They did it for power and prestige. And the irony is that they were asking Jesus for a sign, but they were blind to the signs that were already all around them. The miracles, the comparisons to Moses, the fulfillment of prophecy. It was impossible to see who Jesus was and what he was doing because of the cynicism and criticism that was in their hearts. And so Jesus said the only sign he would give them was the sign of Jonah. And this is where we, we begin to really see what Matthew's trying to say. Because he wasn't just telling stories about miracles and confrontations that Jesus had. Rather, Matthew's beginning to bring Jesus into real focus by repeating what Jesus said and did. Saying Jesus is the new Moses going up the mountain to bring people a new law of love and to miraculously feed people like the ancient Israelites who were fed manna. 
saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, healing the blind, deaf, the lame, and mute. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. And these were all signs that the Jewish imagination could have seen clearly if they hadn't been looking at Jesus from a distance with cynicism, criticism, and contempt. So what about the sign of Jonah that Jesus talked about? I mean, all these other signs Matthew used to bring Jesus into focus, they looked backward to Jewish scriptures and they could be understood by people at the time. But the sign of Jonah is different. Jesus had almost the exact same confrontation as this with some Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, where he also referenced the sign of Jonah. But it seems like it means something more here, something even his disciples couldn't understand. You see, in in Jonah's story, he was swallowed by a fish, and he was believed to be dead until three days later when he appeared alive to call the people of Nineveh to God. In his reference to, to Jonah, Jesus is pointing to his own death, his three days in the grave, and his resurrection. Now, nobody understood it at this time, but here Jesus pivots and he begins to speak more explicitly about what his ultimate destination was. The suffering of the cross, the darkness of the grave, and the resurrection to new life. And all his miracles, the fulfillment of the long prophets, of Moses and Isaiah, these were all signs to bring Jesus' ultimate plan into focus. The cross, the grave, and the resurrection. How Jesus the Messiah would ultimately save the world. So how do we bring all this together. I mean, it's a lot of interesting context and background, but how do we apply all of this? Well, at the heart of this, there are two groups of people. There are people who came to Jesus and people who rejected him. And they all had the same signs that pointed to him, both from the scriptures and in the real-time miracles he performed. And while neither group fully understood everything that Jesus was doing, the group that received him, they came closer to zoom in on Jesus, to see him in focus. And they came for different reasons, some in desperation and some in hope, maybe some in curiosity. But they all came closer, open to seeing who Jesus was and what he was doing. And the group that rejected him, they were far away, seeing Jesus as just another small fuzzy dot in the distance. Because when people look at Jesus with cynicism and criticism, ultimately they're going to see nothing. because. Seeing Jesus requires an open heart and an open mind. Without a willingness to look closer, even when we don't understand or when we're unsure, Jesus will always remain an elusive figure. He'll never force himself. He waits for an invitation. And every invitation requires a measure of faith that perhaps there is something more to know about Jesus. The religious people who thought they had everything figured out about Jesus, they couldn't see him while he came into focus for those who had open hearts and open minds. So today, which will you be? The cynic, certain of what you know, sitting in judgment from a distance? Or the seeker, drawing closer to Jesus to see him more clearly? Maybe not knowing what you'll see or even believing, but willing to be open enough to take a chance on him. As we continue the series, we're gonna see Jesus revealing more of who he is and what he's doing in the world. And as we do, may we not be cynics and critics sitting in judgment, but rather seekers with open hearts and open minds. May we see the signs of the times to know who Jesus is 
and what he wants to do in our world and in our lives. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 